Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for October 18th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, Jesus and Helicopter Parents. That was nice. Well, if you're visiting and wondered why everybody gave me a big old amen because we weren't in Mark, we're not protesting Mark, we've just been in Mark. Having spent the better part of this year in the Gospel of Mark, it was time to return to lectionary preaching. The lectionary systematically divides the Bible into weekly readings. It's a common resource used by many Christians as a device to look at a breadth of Scripture and at the same time focus thoughts and lessons in the same direction each week by multitudes of preachers and churches. There's an Old Testament lesson, a psalm, a gospel lesson, and an epistle every week. So today we were to return to the lectionary to pick a text from which to preach. I'm almost always inclined to gravitate towards the gospel lesson. And wouldn't you know it, while we've been preaching from Mark, so has most of the rest of the Christian community. Not for the whole year, but for some stretch now, the lectionary gospel lesson has come from Mark. But believing that we needed to take a break from that book, I looked at the other text from which to choose. None of them struck me, but Mark did. Have no fear, my handy-dandy Oxford annotated Bible has wonderful footnotes that tells me where there's a parallel story in other Gospels. So I can give you Mark's story just from Matthew's telling. See how I'm going to sneak it in there on you? It's not from Mark. And as I looked at it, I began to see some small differences in the storytelling. It's the same. Matthew tells basically the same story that Mark does in almost every way with one small detail that I found so interesting that I just couldn't leave it alone. In Mark's telling of the tale, the disciples, after spending enough time with Jesus that they should clearly have known better than to ask this question, they ask him anyway, Jesus, who's your favorite? Who's going to get the MVP award, Jesus, when the day is done? Pick me. Pick me, pick me. The actual words were, who will sit at Jesus' right hand and left in the kingdom? But what they were really wanting to know was who was the most important? Who would be the favored ones? Since it's highly likely that Mark was the first gospel written, and it is clear that Matthew and Luke use Mark as one of their common sources for writing their gospel, One commentator speculated that this scene from the Gospel of Mark was such an embarrassment to anyone who read it. I mean, these guys should have known better than to ask Jesus who's the favorite. It was such an embarrassment 
that speculation is that Luke just left it out altogether and Matthew altered it, altered it in a way to save face for the disciples. That saving face was the detail that intrigued me the most. Did you catch it? It's not the disciples in Matthew's telling that has James and John themselves asking about their own rank and file. It was their mother. Oh my. She shows up only here. James and John have a name. Their father, he has a name, Zebedee. She has no name. Those characters, especially when they're women, they always intrigue me the most. I hate that she goes nameless and even unmentioned except for right here. I hate that because I get her. She and I would be like this. She was maybe the very first helicopter parent long before there were even helicopters. In an article in the Washington Post this past Thursday, on how, uh, it was this past Friday, on how helicopter parenting is ruining a generation of children, the former dean of freshmen at Stanford University, Julie Leithcott-Hames, says, that she noticed a disturbing trend during her decade as the Dean of Freshmen at Stanford. Incoming students were brilliant and accomplished and virtually flawless on paper, probably because they mama wrote it for them. I added that part, she didn't say that. So they look brilliant, accomplished, and virtually flawless on paper, but, within, but with each year, more of them seemed incapable of taking care of themselves. They talked, uh, I'm sorry, at the same time, parents were becoming more and more involved in their children's lives. They talked to their children multiple times a day while they were at college. They swooped in to help to personally intervene anytime something difficult happened. From her position as the Dean of Freshmen at one of the world's most prestigious schools, Lythcott Haynes came to believe that mothers and fathers in affluent communities have been hobbling their children by trying so hard to make sure that they succeed and by working so diligently to protect them from disappointment and failure and hardship and such overhelping might assist children in developing impressive resumes for college admission, but it also robs them of the chance to learn who they are, what they love, and how to navigate the world. And then she gave three simple points as a short litmus test for parents to see if they are indeed helicopter parents. If I step on your toes, I think that means you're guilty. These are so simple. And, and I do want to offer a side note. Uh, in my Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about this text. And uh, there are so many situations in the lives of 
children and teenagers where they desperately need advocates, desperately need advocates. And so many times it is only the parent that can step in and be an advocate for that child. So I'm putting aside those desperate moments of despair and chaos and brokenness here. And I'm just talking about all you normal people, okay? I'm not going to talk about extreme cases where advocates are desperately needed. So this is just about the non-desperate. Here are the three things she gives as a litmus test. One, check your language. If you say we when you mean that your son or daughter, when you mean your son or daughter, as in we're on a soccer travel team, you get it? We have a baseball game. It's a hint to yourself that you are intertwined in a way that is unhealthy. Number two, examine your interactions with the adults in your child's life. If you're arguing with teachers and principals and coaches and umpires all the time, or if you're talking to them an awful lot, or emailing them, or texting them, it's a sign that you're a little bit too invested. She says when we're doing all the arguing and talking, we're not teaching our children to advocate for themselves. And her third simple litmus test is stop doing their homework. I got an amen from a teacher. And this is all she has to say about that. Stop doing their homework. Enough said. I didn't enjoy homework when I had to do it. I certainly don't want to do yours. <laughs> now that simple little three-point test may step on some toes. I know I've been guilty of the we language around events in the lives of my son when the truth is I've not played on a sports team since seminary and that was just intramural volleyball. And I've never been in a band. And yet yesterday, we had a baseball game in South Carolina, and then we had a marching band competition in Salisbury. And we did a lot of driving <laughs> while we played and played. <laughs> in Matthew's gospel telling, this mother of James and John, this wife of Zebedee, this nameless woman that shows up advocating for her sons, I get her. That's why I wish we knew more about her. I think most mothers probably get her. What does my son need to do to be elected president of the student body? How can my daughter get to be first chair violin in the orchestra? Don't you think my son should be the MVP of the tournament? Did you see that hit? I think my daughter deserves to be captain of the debate team. I think they need to be homecoming king and queen. And what about class rank? We've got to build that college resume starting in the seventh grade. I am not kidding about that. Starting in the seventh grade is where we are pushed to build a college resume. They're in the seventh grade. 
truth be told, it starts in the second grade when you start advocating for your child to be in the talent development program where you become convinced that if your child is not reading on at least a ninth grade reading level by third grade, there is absolutely no way she will get into a good college. I don't mean to put all the ills of modern day overparenting and helicoptering on this poor mother's on this poor mother in Matthew's gospel, gospel, but I think it's all her fault. She came to Jesus, she knelt before him and asked a favor of him. He kindly asked, "What do you want?" And she said, like only a mother could, Declare that these two sons of mine, they are bright, top of their class, student athletes with a gift in music. They have tons and tons of friends and are invited to all the parties because we've already learned parties are so fun. Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And we look at her... And we can see it so clearly in her that there's really only one response to her. Bless her heart. But Jesus has way more restraint and he simply says, do you know what you are asking? And then he launches into a response about drinking from the cup from which he will drink suffering and finally death on a cross. But I think what he was trying to say was top of the class, MVPs, academic resumes, musical achievements, none of these will be what is needed to sit on my right and on my left. I think he said, good-hearted and well-meaning nameless mother, you are asking me the wrong question. What you should be asking me is how can my son, how can my daughter serve the poor, lift up the brokenhearted, feed the hungry, clothe the naked? I am thrilled that the youngest ones among us so immediately knew to give water to someone who was thirsty. Somebody is beginning to teach them well. She should have been asking Jesus, where can we volunteer to make a real and permanent change in the world, to make the world a better place? She should have been asking, what can our family sacrifice so that another family can have enough? But the way it's recorded, he simply said, Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Who knows? Did Mark have it right originally, and it was the disciples that asked for themselves? Or did Matthew have it right and threw their mother under the bus for asking for it on their behalf? It doesn't really matter. Because the truth is, we can see ourselves in the disciples and their mother. We're out of whack with this whole drive for number one, the best, the brightest, the most beautiful. The push and the stress and the pressure 
on children and young people and on adults. We're out of whack with our strive to succeed. We have forgotten our calling as followers of Jesus or we've ignored it. So many Sundays when I open the Bible to begin to prepare to climb into this pulpit, I'm struck by how the message is always the same. Serve others. It often sounds like deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's a prominent theme, even if you decided to disagree that it's the whole message, which I would contend it is. But it's at least a prominent theme. How can we preach it in a way that is different when it's so plain and simple and yet we still just don't get it? How are you serving? Where are you serving? The people. Who are they that you are serving? You may have to step outside of your comfort zone you may have to say no to something for yourself. You may have to spend money and give away some time. But if you have any desires to flank Jesus in the kingdom, and the kingdom is here and now, not in the by and by. If you have any desire to flank Jesus in the kingdom, then stop asking how you can be the best or the first for yourself or for someone else. And start asking how you can give yourself away for the sake of another. And start getting your children to ask that question of themselves. And let me suggest that you're, if you're having a hard time determining where to start, that you come see Dan and he can give you an assignment in a homeless shelter or in Cuba or right in our own backyard at Sedgefield Elementary School. I've started tutoring a third grade boy there in reading. He reads on a kindergarten level. He is so sharp. His face lights up when he sees me, though he hates the way I make him sound out words. I mean, he loathes that. He believes it is beneath him because that's something a child does. A little child sounds out words. But I'm there to tell him that sounding out the words helps us to read. And I tell him every week, and so far he's still happy to see me. This week I tricked him into sounding out a word, and he said, you tricked me. And I said, yes, I did. And I'm going to do it again. <laughs> the ways to serve countless. The places to give yourself away are endless. So we better get started. And soon. I ran across a poem that might give you some ideas if you're feeling stuck. It is entitled, Not to be served, but to serve. Is that you, Lord, changing the diaper in the nursing home? Holding the spoon for the woman in her wheelchair? Wiping down the toilet and the floor? Is that you, Lord, serving the dinner at the homeless shelter? Sorting the cans at the food bank? 
mowing the aged neighbor's lawn? Is that you, Lord, bandaging the wounds of the bomb victim, erecting the tent for the refugees, handing out the water and the food? Is that you, Lord, driving the patient to the treatment center, sitting through the night with the family, making the call to the forgotten friend? Is that you, Lord, lighting the candle in the darkness, keeping vigil for compassion and justice, loving in us and through us and with us until the world that you love has changed? Is it you, Lord, or will it be me? May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.